Hello, City Hope. It's great to see you this weekend. We want to welcome all the guys at the correctional facilities, the Baymanette campus, the Foley campus, the Mobile campus, and especially their second Sunday, the Midtown campus. And I want to say to you guys, Pastor Jordy and your team, we're so proud of you. You've done a great job getting it set up, and I know God's going to tremendously bless that campus in reaching that part of Mobile. Can we give Pastor Jordy and his team a big hand of appreciation? Well, last fall, I had the opportunity of connecting with a couple of missionaries in South Ecuador. Uh, these guys are reaching a people group uh, that are called SWAR. If you remember some history in the late 40s, early 50s, there's a group of people, Jim Elliott and four other men who were ministering to these people. At that time, they were loosely labeled the headhunters. Well, they're not hunting heads anymore, but uh, there's 600 villages and uh, this, these two missionaries have planted churches in 70 of the villages, raised up pastors, training pastors, doing a phenomenal job. And so I just wanted to show you just a, just a couple of pictures of that. Here, here we are in the jungle, and was, there's one of the pastors there in the yellow shirt. And then we're, that's where we're leading actually a couple of sisters uh, to Christ for the first time. They heard the gospel in, a, in, a, in their own language on a device. And then here we are in that church. This is this trip where we're having a service, and there's some people going to be baptized. We're all getting in the trucks, going down to the river. And then uh, Pastor Dale and the missionary Matt, they're going to baptize there in the river. Had a tremendous time there with these people. These missionaries also started the Ecuador Hope House, bringing the girls out of the villages and uh, giving them an education, training them, and just beautiful, beautiful setting. We have the opportunity in September to go down. We're going to help build and construct an, an addition to that facility to house, to give the girls more room uh, in, 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 in the dormitory setting, I guess you would say. So if you're interested in that trip, if you're in construction, if you want to help finance it, just reach out to our missions department. We'll give you some more information on that. And we had, we just, we're really excited about what God is doing there in that country with these people. So, thank you for your faithfulness. We're able to go and minister. You know, there's no way that you will ever know until probably you get to heaven what your investment in this house and the vision of this house will bring about because we're sowing seed literally all over the world because of your faithfulness. And I just want to say thank you for all that you do and all that you're going to do in the future as we reach the world with the gospel. Now, Last weekend, we began a new series entitled The Son of Man. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch and listen to it. It's the foundational piece to this series. In the book of Luke, we see where Jesus, for the most part, calls himself, refers to himself as the Son of Man. And one reason behind this is that it's his connection to humanity, to humans. Uh, and the reason this is important is because this challenges us to what we believe about Jesus. Do we believe he is the Messiah? Do we believe he's coming again? In chapter 18 in the book of Luke, Jesus tells the story of this widow. We call her the persistent widow because she goes to the judge over and over and over again to try to get him to, to rule justice over her adversary. So Jesus tells this story, 
and he's showing the disciples that they should be persistent, they should pray, they should not give up, and that God will bring about justice for his people that cry out and pray. And then he makes this statement in Luke 18, verse 8, the last half. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is coming back to the earth. When he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, if I ask you what God is doing in this world and how you and I fit into that picture, what would you say? I mean, you may believe in God, and why, but you're wondering, well, why did he create the world? Why did he give us the Bible? Why did he send his son? Why, why is the world the way it is right now? Is this all just random? Does he have a greater purpose? Does he have a plan? Those are huge questions, and they do have clear, compelling answers, but it begins with faith. And many of us never mature in faith. And I want to show you some reasons why we don't mature in faith, because when he comes back, he's looking for faith. The first reason I want to show you is we want faith without cost. I mean, can you develop genuine faith without the cost of actually following Jesus? I I don't think so. Does having mature faith ever put us in the driver's seat of life instead of Jesus? No. Can mature faith be costless and casual? No. I remember years ago when a friend of mine introduced me to Apple products. (laughs) I was not a fan. You could call me an Apple atheist. (laughs) A few years later, I bought my first Apple product, and I became a believer. And, of course, now I have an iPad and an MacBook Air, an iPhone, all of that stuff. But Apple says their desire is to enrich people's lives. And though I may not agree with Apple's moral or political values, I believe in their products. They're simple, they're functional, so I'm willing to pay the price because they're not cheap. But what if you want an Apple product but didn't want to pay the price? Well, there's a cheaper alternative. You buy a knockoff, a product that promises the same results at a fraction of the cost. So a few years ago, Time Magazine did an article, and they reported on knockoffs mimicking Apple products from the Chinese market. The writer explained what one model, the iPhone, sold for $100. And it had problems from the beginning because of faulty construction and malfunctioning apps. And he said, it's called the iPhone because you'd have to be high to actually buy one. (laughs) Companies that sell knockoffs try to make you believe you're getting more while paying less. That's not true. They usually malfunction brings uh, frustrations cost you more and deliver less that's what many people settle for in their faith they buy into a knockoff brand they they want the real experience the real value the real life that comes with mature faith that they want to pay the discount price for it there are no shortcuts in the realm of faith you, you can't take a shortcut you can't cheat your way to an enriched blessed life in god now james the brother of jesus he gives us some insight on mature faith in James 1, 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Well, when people don't pay the price for mature faith, they usually get stuck. And they get stuck, then they throw in the towel, and then they drift back to the way they lived before. And here's what they say. That I've heard it. I've heard it for years. I tried Christianity, but it didn't work. They threw in the towel. But the reality is they settled for a poor substitute. They settled for a knockoff version of faith. They weren't willing to pay the price to get the real deal. 
But isn't your soul worth any price you have to pay to keep it growing and maturing in the things of God? Here's the second reason I think we don't mature. We try out faith instead of training in faith. I've talked to many people in in conversations where they're telling me what's wrong in their lives. And and somewhere the common phrase I've heard is, but I really tried. You know, I I really tried to love my spouse, but my marriage is falling apart. I I really tried to live on a budget, but the finances are a wreck. I I really tried to walk with God, but, you know, my faith doesn't work. works for other people. It doesn't work for me. In most cases, they probably put forth some effort, but trying is not enough. Trying can never match the power of training. And why would we believe we could follow Jesus, the Son of Man, by trying instead of training when that strategy doesn't work anywhere else in life? So we have to train. And the good news is that anyone can train spiritually. Anyone can grow and mature. Here's the third reason we don't grow and we don't mature. We neglect to engage our whole selves in the process. So maturing in faith requires the involvement of the whole self. Remember the answer Jesus gave those religious leaders when they said, hey, what is God's greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord with your, all your heart and your soul and with all your mind. So let's look at that. First, the mind. I'm going to put all myself in, so I'm going to start with the mind. The mind requires biblical knowledge to grow. If not, then how do you know what's true and what's false? You go by popular opinion. How do you know the truth? Do you base it on personal experience? But You see, if that's the case, you're limiting truth because nobody lives long enough to, to test every truth. Or, or, or do you base it on how you feel? Well, that's not reliable either because our emotions are constantly changing and can often be based on false assumptions and misunderstandings. Do you base it on what others tell you? Well, people are fallible, and you can take two highly intelligent, respectable people. They can argue on on two opposite viewpoints, stating compelling cases on a certain issue. So that's not giving, giving you an answer. So do you go to social media? Do you poll your friends? Do you Google it? I believe there is such a thing as truth. And there is a compelling case that God has provided humanity with truth all through the Bible, but I need my mind engaged in it. Secondly is the heart. The heart requires spiritual intimacy to spiritually mature. Listen to this. Mature faith requires more than truth because more than just information. The truth we learn gains transformation when you understand that the truth you learn is birthed out of the love of God. And God, the creator of the universe, doesn't offer some cold ritualistic religion to appease him, but rather a warm, loving relationship to engage with him. So spiritual maturity comes not from knowing about God, but rather experiencing God with intimacy and has emotion and affection. That's kind of like being a dad. I have never thought or never never, never said, I have to be a dad. No, I get to be a dad. I've never said I have to be a grandparent. No, I get to be a grandparent. And God's the same way. He has the same attitude, only better. His life is always giving and pure. He's not distant. He's a personal, intimate father. And as you grow and mature and love God with your whole heart, then your faith grows. So to the whole thing, I need my mind there. I need my heart there. Thirdly is the will. To have the will there. The will is your desire. So it requires holy obedience to mature. Well, Jesus teaches his disciples, he made it clear that maturity requires more than intimacy and knowledge. Just talked about intimacy, just talked about knowledge. He says, wait a minute, it requires maturity. You've got to have more than intimacy and more than knowledge. He said, not everyone, Jesus said this, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do what my Father in heaven wants them to do, that do the Father's will. That's his desire. 
So the people who knew Jesus best and the people who loved him the most, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And his focus in teaching them began with the relationship with God the Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then the next thing Jesus said is defining your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, when things are right between us and God, we surrender our will to his will. We surrender our desire to his desire. And Jesus goes on to say, if followers really loved him, they would obey him. In other words, the only way to experience the fullness of the Son of Man is to consistently obey God's will and God's ways. It's kind of like when you tell your children, you know, they've saved allowance or they, or they have some funds and they want to buy something they like or they want to buy something for their hobby. And you say, okay, you can buy that. And man, they're quick to obey, right? They're going to spend the money. That's great, but you want the same response when you tell them to study for a test because you know their education is critical to their life and training. As a father, you have good things in mind for your children and their future. You long for them to have a great life. So you want them to trust your judgment, not merely because they want a better life, but because they recognize you have the authority in their life. I'm her dad. I'm his dad. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's establishing his sovereignty over all living things, including you and me. So he expects me to surrender my will to his will. It's the hardest thing for us to do. We can, we can take care of the intellectual sometimes, and we can take care of the heart sometimes. But when it comes to the will, because we're so independent, but to surrender my will to his will. Now, now listen, he deserves it. Not because he loves me and, and gave his son for me and he wants the best for me, but he deserves it because he has authority over my life. That's holy obedience. Don't let the word holy throw you off. That's holy obedience is bowing to God's authority, trusting his love and his plans and his wisdom. That's why believers, listen, that's why believers who mature in faith tr- strive constantly to follow Jesus' teachings to follow what he says about marriage, what he says about sexuality, what he says about the family, what he says about integrity, what he says, what he says about relationships and business, and on and on and on and on. Mature followers of Christ seek to be holy as he's holy, and that requires obedience to him and his word. So here's what I did. I just blew past three, these three concepts. And if you're like me, I'm a visual learner, so I'm going to stop just a minute before I get to the fourth statement. Because the fourth statement is where the weight of the message is. I want to show you visually what I am trying to explain with words. Here's the first diagram. You see the mind, the will, and the heart. The place where the three areas overlap, that's where our faith is developed. So I, I need my mind, the will, and the heart. I need it. When it overlaps, that's where my goal is to align all three. Here's the second diagram. The more we align with God, the larger the overlap and the more growth we experience. We want it to grow and grow and grow. To the third diagram, this is what maturity looks like. Jesus. Here's what it means. If I get my mind and my heart and my will into 100% alignment with the will of God, Jesus was in 100% alignment with the will of the Father, then I'm going to look like Jesus while I'm on this earth. The matur- I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be doing the will of the Father on the earth. Now, here's the fourth and final reason we don't mature, okay? We elevate one area of faith and neglect the other two. So this is another problem that keeps people from maturing in faith and growing spiritually. It happens most of the time in church. We elevate one and the other two we we, we let go. This creates a spiritual imbalance that keeps us from growing and maturing. So here's what I've done. I've identified the mind, the heart, and the will. 
Now I'm going to break those down into kind of where the rubber meets the road. And this, is, this happens in church. If you grew up in church, you're going to recognize some of these things. The first one is we're going to go from the mind, but we're going to go into intellectualism. Because people who elevate biblical knowledge and neglect spiritual intimacy and holy obedience, they run the risk of being entrenched in intellectualism. They believe knowledge is enough to become mature, and because they have knowledge, they consider themselves mature spiritually. In the minds of people who excel in the knowledge of the Bible without the intimacy or the obedience to him, it's more important to give truth than it is to live out truth. So they can get puffed up, and they believe telling others the truth without showing it is the acceptable way to operate, but it's not. Jesus made it clear that knowledge wasn't enough. He addressed the religious leaders of the day. He said, you are the most studious people I know. They're the ones who ask the question, well, what's the greatest commandment? You're the most studious people, yet you are spiritually empty. So he challenged them to love God with their whole heart, to fully follow God in a humble spirit, not in pride. He's challenging us to do the same thing. So you have intellectualism. So here's the next one is emotionalism. Now, this is what I grew up in in church. People who focus on spiritual intimacy without biblical knowledge are holy obedience. They're prone to be emotional. They pursue a feeling, and, and as long as they are able to experience emotional moments and emotional highs and spiritual feelings of some sort, they believe they're spiritually mature. So the great risk of this is the focus is you begin to chase spiritual highs. It's not enough. You gotta, the, the pastor's got to go to another level. Got to have another this. Let's pull something else out of the hat. Let's watch the gold dust fall. Let's find the oil coming out of something else. Let's do this. Let's find that. What's all the weird and wacky stuff going on in the world? And so that's what you start chasing. Then our, here's what happens when you get there. Listen to me. I grew up in this. Your feelings become your filter for truth instead of God's word. Are you breathing? We become more about emotions than devotion. We focus more on God making us feel good so we get those goosebumps than acknowledging God is good. When this happens, we start to expect God to serve us instead of us serving God. And soon, we don't look any different than the rest of the world in terms of moral truth or wisdom. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Paul's emphasis to Timothy was not only in the the truth, but obedience to the truth and training ourselves to live the way God desires us to live. So you have intellectualism, you have emotionalism. Here's the third one. It's legalism. Some of you probably grew up in a church like this. People who focus on holy obedience, not biblical knowledge, not spiritual intimacy, but they become legalistic. What do they do? They focus on a list of rules. And they conclude as long as they obey their list of rules from that church, from that denomination, they possess mature faith. If you embrace this approach to faith, here's what happens. You judge others, and, and, and you judge others based on your list. And then you add things to the list that are not even in the Bible, just to improve yourself. At that point, you're not trying to live by God's standards. You're creating your own standard. And inevitably, we emphasize obeying some things on God's list while dismissing, dismissing others. And I've, I've seen it, and I've heard it, where you'll have this person who's legalistic, and they'll condemn sexual sin but they're involved in gossip and slander and division. Or they condemn slander and yet they excuse sexual sin. But to God, sin is sin. To God, obedience is obedience. So here's my question to you. Which of the three integral parts of spiritual maturity do you tend to gravitate toward? Because I am telling you the truth. Every living human being has a tendency, a natural leaning to one of those. It's either the biblical knowledge, it's the spiritual intimacy, or it's the legalism list of rules. 
So we, we have this natural leaning. The truth is, listen to me, any person that doesn't make all three equally important can't mature in faith. You need all three. You need the spiritual, you need the intimacy, and, and, and you, you need the obedience, holy, obeying what God has said. So faith, here's what it does. It makes real your connection to the spiritual so you grow and develop to become a mature Christian. You've got to have the spiritual to get there. Faith is critical because, listen, it's the only mechanism that God has provided that links us to the spiritual realm that we cannot see with our five senses. So why is faith important to us today in this message? Well, let me show you. Paul said in Ephesians 3.16, follow me and watch where we go. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being. We've been talking about the inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He said in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Dwell means to make oneself at home. It is by faith. Paul's talking to believers. It is by faith that Christ makes himself at home in our hearts. Now, you've probably been there. I've been there. You may have been in a place, you may have been in a home where you didn't feel at home. The less you feel at home, the less freedom you have. You're not going to kick your shoes off. You're not going to prop your feet up on the coffee table. You're not going to open the refrigerator. You're not going to look in the pantry and see what they're about to eat. When you don't feel at home, you don't stay long. But when you feel at home, when there's the freedom to enjoy where you're located, you, you want to stay a while. Watch. He said, let Christ make himself at home in your heart. Well, how do I get Christ to stay at home in my heart? Kick off his shoes, put his feet on the coffee table, open the pantry. How do I get him to do that? By faith. Listen, faith is what makes the invisible reality of Christ's life real to us. And the more real it becomes, it's because now he is free to express himself and he expresses himself through us the more we grow, the more we mature. Now he's free to do things he couldn't do before because he wasn't free to do it. So faith, watch, is the only way that makes Christ feel at home so he can express himself to us and through us. And then you start to grow and you start to mature in what? In the fullness of God. So if faith is, my, if faith is the way to grow, then what is faith? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Look at this scripture. Many of you know it, but this is in the English Standard Version on purpose. Watch. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So, so notice, faith connects you with what sight can't see. Faith is a conviction about something you can't see. I, I, I believe in God, but I can't see him. I believe in Jesus Christ, he is love, I can't see him. Faith connects you to the reality, watch, that transcends your five senses. If it transcends your five senses, then to depend on your five senses is not to have faith. If everything you're doing is by your five senses, then you don't have faith. See, evidence, it, it is the evidence of what you can't see. So if you see it, you don't need faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please God with faith. What does that mean? 
The reason it's impossible to please God without faith is because for many Christians, you're, watch, you're not experiencing growth because our faith does not go beyond our sight. It doesn't go by what we can see in the natural. Therefore, you're not pleasing God. When you're not pleasing God, you're, you're, you're not going to see God. So what is faith? Well, I'm going to give you the southern version, okay? And if you're not from the south, you probably won't get it, but ask some southerner and they'll help you with it. Here's the, this is what faith. Faith is acting like it's so, even though it's not so, in order that it might be so, just because God said so. That's faith. When you put that kind of faith in what God says, here's what you're doing. You're telling God you believe what he said. You believe in his truth. You say it with what a coach says about a team. You say it about this and that and all this other stuff. Why in the world can't we say it about what God says? Because faith establishes what you think about God. And as far as God is concerned, many of his children, you have more confidence in a world system or in your job or your education or your bank account than you have in your, or either in yourself than you have in Christ. And if Christ is going to express himself through faith, that you have to believe the truth of God and the word of God or you will not see supernatural because your life will be lived in the natural. Because your God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does miracles. He still answers prayers. He still does all of those things. But if you are not in the supernatural realm, you're not going to see it. You will never see who God is and what God could do because you're limited to the natural. You're limited to the ground. Not, not in the senses, not in the spiritual realm. You will not find, listen, in, in the Bible, you're not going to find every specific detail about every situation in life, but you will find the objects and the precepts and the principles of God in his word. But how do you apply it? The Holy, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit will take the word and he will confirm that truth from the word. I am speaking the word today. I'm speaking the truth today. The Holy Spirit will take that word in your heart and he will confirm what fits you so that you can help you make application of that to your life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then that's when you can say, oh, I know what God wants me to do in this situation. Oh, I, I know what God wants. He wants us to do this and go there. I mean, you know that you know. But here's what happens. Look at me. To many of us, our feelings get in the way of our faith. Don't misunderstand me. Feelings are real. If you feel, it's real. You, you can't dismiss the way somebody feels. I, I, I feel bad. I feel insecure. I feel afraid. It's real. But because it's real doesn't make it right. The job of Satan is to make the unreal real in your mind. In Genesis, he made the fruit real to Eve in the terms of moving her away from what God said, his word, and when he controls her feelings, he gets her feelings to overrule God's word. If he can control your feelings, then your feelings will overpower what God has said. Because here's why. Feelings have no intellect. Feelings are like a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. And that's why you can be crying one minute and then get around somebody funny and you're laughing the next minute because they changed your thinking. They distracted you to feel differently. It's like being on a plane and there's turbulence and you start to get the feelings of a, you're afraid, you're nervous, and then the pilot speaks and says, hey, we're in a pocket of rough air, we're going to move, we're going to get out of it. His words make you feel and your fears starts to subside because you hear the voice, oh, we're not in trouble, we're okay. Your feelings changed. 
It is impossible to connect with God without faith, so you must always be living beyond your senses. But wait a minute. Don't get me wrong here. You do not live without your senses. I've seen some people do that, and they are weirdos and wackos. And they're in the church. You do not live without your senses. You live with your feelings and senses. You're just not limited to your senses. Did you hear me? You're just not limited to what you feel in the five senses. When your feelings change, ask, what is the source of the change? And, and, and let, me just, let me just be real transparent. A lot of you are wasting time. You come to church. You hear the word. You hear the gospel. It's illustrated. It's taught. It's explained. And you bow your heads and you even pray about it. But God says, listen, if you believe what I'm telling you, if you believe my truth, it will affect your feet. To have faith is to act on what God says, even if you feel, even if you feel different or if your friends are telling you something different, even if it doesn't make sense. The Bible says we are to walk by faith. Just like the, little, the story of the farm country, there's no rain, there's a drought, and the pastor calls all the farmers in the church in to pray, and they pray all day for rain, and there's no rain. He said, bring your Bibles, bring your crosses. We're going to have an all-out prayer meeting for rain. There's no rain. The next day, pastor's in town, and there's a kid in the square, a 10-year-old kid, and he's going around, he's crying, oh, God, we need rain. God, send us rain. God, help us. And, and, and the day before, they had already prayed. There was no rain. The boy's crying out to God. All of a sudden, the clouds get dark. The thunder comes. Here comes a drop of rain. Here comes the outpour. It's rain. So what was it about this little boy? He prayed, they, they prayed the same prayers. The boy didn't bring his Bible, didn't bring his cross. He just brought an umbrella. He expected it to rain. Some of you totally missed that. I guess it's because you're not mature. Just kidding. Faith without works is useless. Words are a dime a dozen. Some of you talk 90 miles an hour with gusts up to 150, and you don't say anything. You say all the things God's told you to do, and you don't do jack squat, and jack squat is Greek for nothing. You don't do nothing. You just talk about it. Faith without works is useless. Believing it, but not to the point of taking action, means you're not taking your belief seriously. And faith is to be demonstrated, not discussed. Quit talking about it. Have faith. Do it. Do what God said. Step out and do. Do what he says. And then you're going to see all God has promised for you. And I'm not talking about name it, claim it stuff. I'm talking about you're going to see the riches that you possess in Christ Jesus. Your spiritual maturity is seeing God become real to you and him express himself through you. The function of faith is to experience maturity by the reality that the Son of Man is making himself at home inside of you. And Luke said, hey, the Son of Man is coming back to the earth, but will he find faith when he comes? My point is this. I'm, I'm wrapping up. My point is, don't raise your hand, but most of us still have maturity problems. We do, majority of us. I mean, remember when you were a kid, you had a lack of emotional maturity and you made dumb mistakes and did dumb things. As adults, a lack of spiritual maturity, what it does, it threatens blow-ups, like marriage, like family relationships where a father won't speak to a child, a sibling won't speak to a sibling. It's so ridiculous. Our finances blow up, our careers, even our health. And here's what we do. We try to hide from others how spiritually immature we really are. 
It's it's like we put on a mask. David Siemens in his book says it's like we put on the super me. I got it all together. No, listen, that is why so many who call themselves Christians live no better lives than people who have no faith at all. There's something wrong with that. If you, when you have faith that develops real maturity, you can meet any and every challenge that life throws at you. It doesn't lead to a perfect life, a perfect marriage, or a trouble-free life, but it delivers whole life, abundant life, fulfilling life that works on every level. Listen, I, I don't know where you are in your faith journey. Maybe you're not a follower and you're wrestling with truth. Or maybe you are a follower and you're stuck and you, you know something's wrong, but you don't know what it is. Maybe you grew up in church and you never got the truth. You just got all this religion stuff jammed down your throat. Could it be that no one's ever helped you understand what it means to grow spiritually and faith? It's more than just saying it and speaking it. No, you got to grow. You got to do. Growing and maturity takes time, it takes intentionality. It's a process. I believe it starts with learning the Scripture. See, most of you know a Bible story, a verse or two, but most of us, if you're honest, you wonder, how in the world does all this fit together in the Bible? I mean, you got this, basically this span of time and all these stories, Old Testament, how does this all fit together? The Bible's one big story. It's the story of God's interaction with humanity. It's one big story where the Old Testament and the New Testament create a mirror image that turns on the light of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And once you understand the overall story, then you have a framework to start hanging things on. If all the word you ever get is at church, you're not getting enough of the framework to start hanging things on to build your faith. When you under, listen, when you start understanding God, he, he, your, your understanding, when you start following and maturing, your, your understanding of God's going to increase. When your understanding of God increases, then you long for intimacy with him. You will grow. No one will have to talk you into worship. You will worship. No one will have to make you read the Bible and do a list of spiritual push-ups. You will want to read the Bible because all of a sudden, your desire is to know him, obey him, and then when that happens, his direction comes stronger and stronger and stronger. You hear him is really clear. If you're willing to engage in this process of growing and maturing in faith, your life will be transformed. You will experience life that's fully alive in Christ, and it will, it will, it will exceed anything you can even dream of. And not only is your life going to be better for it, but the entire work of God on earth will grow stronger as a result. If every person at City Hope starts to grow and mature, then what we've called to do as a church is going to produce greater results. And I believe that's what the Son of Man will be looking for when he returns. I believe he's going to be looking for those who are growing and maturing because when you're growing and maturing, you're speaking volumes to people just naturally. But when you look like them and you act like them and you talk like them and you don't follow the Word, you don't pursue the Word and you don't devour the Word and you don't follow the Word because you have your opinion or their opinion or that group or this group, you're not following God. You will not mature. You will look like the rest of the world. And Jesus says, I hope when I come back I find some maturity and some faith in my people because that's what I'm looking for. I believe... A genuine faith in Christ, faith that has developed maturity, is the answer to all humanity's problems. I don't need politicians. 
I don't need your theories. I don't need this. I'm telling you what Jesus has and what he's given us. If it is developing in our life, if he's at home in my house, if he's comfortable in my house, the reality of that, that everything that I do and everything that I say, he's living in me and through me so that he can affect the world that I live in and I work in and I'm raised in. And I'm preaching better than you're letting on, but I don't care if you let on. Jesus said, I, I came to have, they can have real life, eternal life, more and more better life than they ever dreamed, John 10, 10. That's why faith is so important. It's something you can have if you're willing to go after it. We put more emphasis on going after a college degree, more after a job promotion, after this and after that, than we do on pursuing God. In the Western world, we're relaxed and we're comfortable, so we don't have to pursue. We, we got this little green card. We're, we're going to heaven. We're going to check in and all that. Jesus is coming back because he, when he comes back, he doesn't want anyone to perish. So he's coming back for as many as are ready for him, and we're the ones that are supposed to get people attracted to get ready for Jesus. That's our job. So this message is your invitation. It's your challenge. Are you willing to accept it? It's real obvious when you're around people if they're growing and mature or if they're just staying the course, just steady, not doing, you know, just punching the card. Grow. It's worth it. Mature. It's worth it. Get in the Word. Worship. Grow. Accept the challenge. Accept it. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of people, everyone listening. You'll challenge us to grow, to get out of the rut, to not throw in the towel. You'll challenge us to pursue you, to love you, to worship you, to, to become balanced in all of these areas so that you're comfortable. You're at home in my life so that you can start doing things that you desire to do in my life so that when you return, we're a church that's doing what you want us to do on the face of this earth in faith that brings honor and glory to your name. And we thank you for this challenge We accept it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you.